gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. What? Welcome to Remarkable a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from Wistia's 110-100 documentary with the director of content and social at Salonis, Chris Sheen. We're Wistia, and this is 110-100, a documentary series where we challenged a video production agency to make three videos at three very different price points. One for $1,000, one for $10,000, and one video for $100,000. That's the biggest light stand I've ever seen. Join us as we discover how money can simplify, complicate, and ultimately change the creative process. Chris, how are you? Really good, thank you. Very excited to uh, talk about one of my favorite pieces of content. Good to be here. Super excited to chat about that. Um, really excited to get into uh, your marketing at Slowness, your background, and everything in between. So let's get started. Why did you pick this Wistia documentary? Well, it was really simple, actually, when, when you guys reached out, that it was a two-minute decision because, quite simply, there's no piece of content marketing that's ever existed that I've recommended to more people than this. I, I probably, at my old company and our current company, recommended this to about 100 people and say, you have to watch this series. And I think it's just a fantastic example of so many different spectrums of what content marketing should be. It passed like the test number one, really, for me with content is that it beat Netflix. So I, I watched the first episode on a Friday during the day at work. And I was like, I, I need to binge this. I want to watch the rest of it. So I watched it literally over the weekend. And I don't think that anything in B2B had ever hit me in that way before where I actually would rather watch that than watch, you know, the Netflix series I was watching at the moment at the time. So yeah, it was, a, it was a, quite a simple choice. And zooming out, tell us a little bit more about your role at Salonis. See, I'm the director of, of content and, and social media at Salonis. I'd say we're the biggest software category that you've probably never heard of. So process mining's been around. We've been around for about 12 years. Process mining's been around about the same sort of time. And a big part of our, our job really here in the content and social team is, is to, to really help grow that category, help people understand you know, why processes are so important and how process mining could help their company. So it's a, it's a really cool ride. We're trying to, trying to do stuff differently to the typical B2B kind of marketing. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. So Meredith, mm-hmm. what the heck is Wistia's 110-100 documentary. Glad you asked. So it's a four-part documentary, like you mentioned, and it's won a Webby Award. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire. And basically this video software company called Wistia challenges a video production company, this company, Sandwich Video. I'm Adam. I run a little company called Sandwich Video. We make commercials. To make three ads based on different budgets. And it all is an ad for the same thing, which is Wistia's tool Soapbox. Soapbox is a Chrome extension that lets me record my desktop and my webcam at the same time. 
But so each ad has a different budget. The first one is $1,000, the second $10,000, and the third $100,000. And the goal was to explore the impact budget has on creativity and video ads. And then Wistia then, their goal was to measure ad performance and audience reaction to gauge success of each. And so they tuned into like demographics, engagement data, cost per customer acquisition, and return on investment. And the idea really came about because their production team was like, well, this is what we do for a living, but we don't actually have a very good understanding of money in, money out. So like, what are we spending versus what are we making? And so Wistia's founder, whose name is Chris Savage, said, our production team felt that creativity was a single most important element in producing an effective video, and this fits in with our vision to grow through creativity. And then I was reading that according to PR Newswire, over 50% of marketing professionals worldwide named video as a type of content with the best ROI, and 43% of users say they want to see more of it from marketers. Which, of course, Wistia being a company that allows you to, to host videos, uh, we have a number of customers that use Wistia on their site and get sort of more actionable insights from that video with a bunch of different like data pieces and all that. I use it to show my fans how to save their cupcakes in the cloud, which is a real thing and not made up. Very natural that they would be the ones to do a study on video. So it's a very cerebral exercise. It's very much classic marketing, like, you know, split testing three different things. But the creation of the actual documentary and, you know, charting this whole process and seeing it all is so fascinating and interesting. And Chris, why do you think this is so remarkable? I think it's a great premise. It's uh, almost beautifully simple. It's one of those ideas that you kind of think, oh, why did I not think of that? This idea of making a video three times, the name 110 to 100 is, is fantastic. And I think what makes it truly remarkable is that when you watch it, you don't feel like you're watching a, a piece of content marketing. And that's probably the ultimate sort of B2B marketer's goal, I think. And only marketer's goal really is to, to make that content not feel like it's selling something. It's just selling entertainment and education. And I think it does that really, really well. Nailed it. It's funny. It's, it's entertaining. It's got lots of personality in it. I think you can see, you really get the personalities across from both the Wistia and the sandwich teams throughout it. I thought that pitch was a Skype interview, so I didn't wear pants. And I think that it, it's just a great example, really, of, of what, what great content should be. There's something elemental that we love about seeing people do stuff on a budget, and we love seeing people do stuff in excess. So, like, part of it is, you know, you want to see if they can do it and, like, what they have to do. But when it's on a budget like that, it makes it so accessible. Because, like, no matter who you are, no matter what company you are, you could do a video for $1,000. I mean, unless you should not be in business anymore if you don't have $1,000 to do a video, right? So the idea that anyone can do the $1,000 video and that what goes into a $100,000 video and like, why does it cost so much? And like, what could go into that? Like, these are things that I think just like most people don't understand, which is part of the reason why I think it's so fascinating. And like, what goes into making a movie, for example, you know, Avengers cost $127 million to create and it's, you know, did a billion dollars in the box office and all this sort of stuff. Like, I think we just hear these terms that we're, like thrown around all the time. And so like for anyone, I think seeing how something is made and like actually seeing the budget for it is fascinating. And like, it's just like you said, it's a brilliant framing of something that marketers deal with literally every day. It's a problem we have every single day when we're trying to do creative work. 
Yes, yeah, it's a great example of that. I think we talked about it before recording, like we've all watched it and we said, which was the favorite, your favorite of the three ads? And you kind of thought, well, it must be the $100,000 ad because that's had the huge budget, it's had all the production, had the actors. And actually we, we were like, no, we, we like the $1,000 one because that really had that DIY element. It really felt authentic, it felt really real. It fit the products actually perfectly. And seeing the fact that you can create something really, really cool, like very DIY, I think is very inspirational. The whole premise, I, I think, is fantastic. For those who haven't seen it, the $1,000 version is this guy who's filming it himself, doing everything through his iPhone, literally kind of like making product visuals using like craft paper and, and sticks and things like that. Wave if you can hear me. I, I can't hear. And then the, when it gets the $100,000 version, it has an actor playing his role and they find someone who effectively is just a better looking version of him. Too close. Too close which is hilarious in its own way. Um, and everything's just really polished and, and, and great. But actually, you know, does it sell the product better in that way? Arguably not. Arguably it does some start to feel too polished and too perfect. And that $1,000 one, when it's selling a product that is effectively a, a do-it-yourself product, fits really well. So think thinking about like, you know, we all, always kind of strive for perfect, don't we? We want perfection in, in the market. We want it to feel great and look great, sound great. Sometimes it's worth taking a step back and thinking, actually, what's going to get the message across you know, the most authentically? And I think it's really interesting that that kind of side, side part of the story, really. Yeah, we're doing this uh, series with a cybersecurity company, Tenable, called The Hacker Chronicles. And in season one, we had a way smaller budget than we did for season two. And so for the bad guy of the series, who's only in a handful of episodes, I played the role with like a, a robotic voice changer because we're like, we wanted to make this person mysterious and weird. And, you know, my voice is menacing enough. And so in season two, and we wanted to be able to change the actor for the next season, we wanted to leave that open. And so for season two, we casted Michael C. Hall as the bad guy who played Dexter. And I can tell you this, that... Without a doubt, he is better than I am at acting. And so when we were when we were sitting in the studio and I'm talking to him, I'm like, "Hey, do you know the actor that you're replacing? Because we had to recast this role. Is like still a little mad that he got cut. He's like, oh yeah. He's like, I'm like, yeah, it was me. And he's like, well, now this is awkward. If anyone needs me, I'll be in the bathroom. But it's so funny because watching this really made me think about, and I think about this all the time. Like, where do you spend your money? Like, where are the things that you can spend your money on? And where does it matter? And that's the stuff that like this video really gets to the core of from like a marketing perspective is like, what is the thing that can have an outsized impact on your campaign? What elements can do that? And what, you know, are, are, are things that like ultimately like no one will ever know or care about? That's so true, isn't it? I think I've worked on both sides of the, the sort of story really. I've worked for real scrappy startups where, you know, a 15 person company and, you know, one person marketing team doing everything ourselves to, so now it's almost 3,000 people and a huge marketing team and function. And actually, there's that great idea of creativity by constraint. It can actually really, really help in terms of like getting stuff done and getting shipped. You have the story. You have that key message that you want to tell. And having no distractions around it can actually be really useful. Sometimes you can almost be paralyzed by the, the, the amount of budget you've got and, and can sometimes be to the detriment of the content, I think. Yeah, and I think that like with creative teams too that aren't transparent, like our, our team at Caspian will be produced, we're extremely transparent on this stuff because I want the best product to be put out there. But it's also just like creative work is really hard. Running an agency is really hard uh -huh. doing those sort of things. So 
again, this is like just my interpretation of reading this, but like one of the cool things about like working with an agency, like, like how cool they are and to create this is like when you say, Hey, we're going to actually like look at all this stuff and like count the beans and figure it out. I think it probably was pretty liberating, right? To say, you know, here are the constraints. This is what we have to do. This is like how much we have to spend and let's figure it out. And like that part of it, I think, you know, one of my big takeaways for this is that creative work has to have constraints. Like it is your job as the marketing leader to set constraints. Those can be really ridiculous. They can be very serious. They can be something about time or duration or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We, we always do the opposite, which is like, well, let's just maximize like how many people this is going to reach. And you're like, yeah, but we don't know that. Like the things that we can control are like, how many seconds it's going to be like, how many times we're going to do X, Y, Z. So I, I think that one of my big learnings here was just like learning what your constraints are and like hitting that. And I think it makes a better process. I love that. Such a great piece of advice. It's so easy to overlook, isn't it? I think there's that idea of if you ask someone to name as many things as they can in 60 seconds that are white, then they might name like 20. But if you say like name as many things you can that might live in the kitchen that are white, they'll name more because it's like that, that single constraint as an exercise makes it actually easier to kind of go, right, okay, milk, like, you know, go through them really quickly and, and come up with them. I'm now questioning how many I can name in a minute. So I'm trying not to get I know. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, right, okay. Eggs? Yeah, eggs, that, that count. Yeah, I'll give you eggs. eggs. That's fine. White bread, that counts, surely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The other thing that I was really taken back by is the making of something that in our day and age, we like to see the math, as they say, right? Like we like to know the process of making something. And so like we're getting ready to launch this crazy murder mystery podcast, Murder in HR, and we're doing like a full making of. So like we shot video and it just struck me that shooting that documentary is expensive. Like that had to be really expensive to shoot that. Like I, no doubt. I don't know if that, amount was ever put out there but it probably was pretty expensive to like shoot and cut and put that documentary together but i i just find it so fascinating that the making of something is just as interesting as or more interesting than the final asset both from you know the education of like learning how to do something but also the entertainment standpoint internet toiletry is a really exciting space and like that part of it it's just a, another reminder that sometimes like making of content is is really cool. Like you think of the when they do the transformation of like a huge user conference like Dreamforce, when they do that like fast motion video of them like setting up Dreamforce, I'm like, I'm always watching that. That's great. You know, it's just those little things of like people like to watch transformation. They like inside information. And maybe it's not for everyone, but for like maybe 20% of your audience, they're like, yeah, this was awesome, and I would love to hear how it was made. To add to what you're saying, too, Ian, like, there's something about, aside from seeing all the decision-making that goes on behind it and the racking up of cost and things like that, which is super interesting, like, there is kind of a how-to element in it for people who aren't video producers, but also as, like, a general person behind the scenes of, like, the making of podcasts. For me, there was, like, a reassurance that the creative process is full of mistakes. They mention it, I think, in the $10,000 episode where there's a guy in post-production saying, like, all the mistakes that we made in production, I'm now fixing. And he's like, there's so much time that I spend doing that. And so it's, like, 
Oh, this is just a reminder that like, you know, sometimes if you're experiencing imposter syndrome and expect everyone else's process is perfect, like you look at this and you're like, wait, (laughs) there are always mistakes in that process. There are always like decisions that are made that might have been better otherwise. And, you know, you kind of go with the flow and make it great, but have to work around those kinds of constraints as well. No, I love that point. It's, it's so true. And I think the other side of it is is the human side. I think um, one of the things I think Wister as a company have always done really, really well, actually, anyway, is is to show the other, that they are there are people behind this. And, you know, with the marketing, and it, it's so easy, I think in B2B as much as any, to, to just feel like a faceless organization that has a product, we have software. But when you show those making of things, when you show one of my favorite like easy tricks is like an outtake at the end of a video. It's a you know, five-second outtake. It shows the human side. It shows the mistake. And it completely changes how you feel very quickly about the brand, about the company. So I think that side of it, I think, is such a big win, almost an underused kind of win, really. Like, as you mentioned, the Dreamforce example, you're showing the work that's gone into it. You're seeing the, the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into that. It's like, oh, great. I could, you know, actually, it makes me appreciate that even more. And I, I think on the other side of the coin there, there are, you know, really big companies do this really well, but in a different way. You know, some of like Apple is an obvious example and, and Dyson. They'll really show you the level, the hours, the days, years, months have gone into making their products, really crafting what they do, really the art behind it. Think, feel, dream, innovate, visionate, disintegrate. You know, Dyson would often say, you know, this has been seven years in the making. So, you know, release this, their first hair product, for example. This is so true. Yeah. They've really thought long and hard about this. Like, we've perfected this. We weren't going to ship it until it was ready. And that in itself is a different version of making it. I think it's so powerful as a marketing technique. I love that. That's such a great piece of advice of like saying, you know, hyping up how long it's been in the works and showing the rigor and the process that goes into it. I love that. It's such a great piece of advice. I think it's a device that Steve Jobs. Is renowned, was renowned for doing on the stage at, at Apple when he'd do the big keynotes. He would say, we've been working on this for months. You know, it, it'd be like this real big, like this has been years in the making. And it's, um, yeah, I think he did, he did it countless and countless times again because it works. It, it really makes you feel like, okay, this is going to be something special. Another thing for me about this is that this is incredibly self-serving by Wistia, as all good marketing uh, is, while being incredibly like not self-serving, right? So like the idea of how can you make video better is like core to their platform, right? If we have better videos, then the use of Wistia will be better, right? The more people that watch it. But part of the problem with video is creating video, especially back then, is super, super hard. Like it's ridiculously hard to create video. And... The biggest problem is the unknown costs of creating video. So they're taking like your biggest pain point as a marketer, which is how much is something that's really expensive going to cost and how could you do it really well for cheaply and like making edutainment out of it. And like, it's just so well done. And like, after you watch it, you're like, we should go make a thousand dollar video. Like, we should do this. We should make a $10,000 video. Like, that's like my first thought after finishing is like, we should do this exact thing. Like, almost like play for play. Like, do the exact same thing they did, you know, and then also film it. Go nuts. Yeah, so true. I think that there were like three lessons that I really took from it. That was the first one is that great content marketing is like edutainment, as we keep saying. Does it teach and entertain? Is it educational? You've got to know your audience to do that well. Wistia really do, as you said. They know that what they want to say there. 
And by doing it in an entertaining way that Wistia do, as you say, you, I walked away from how many companies are sat there thinking we'd love to have a great explainer video for our website, but we just don't have the budget. You know, we'll do that next year. We don't have it like right now. You watch that and I'm literally thinking, I need to get my craft papers out. I'm going to steal my daughter's uh, school stuff and start making stuff to help sell Salonis because it brings it to life in, in so many different ways. I love that. It was interesting too that like the process of creating and being a process mining company and trying to figure out how to like, you know, model, analyze, and optimize business processes, which is what y'all do as a business. It did have me thinking about Salonis in general because I'm like, part of the thing of like creating video and this process is so complex to create videos. Like no two video projects are like ever the same. And it just got me thinking to like Disney and the way that they're creating these new series that they're doing and the processes that they're using, which are very repeatable. There's an old video of Disney using, they use the same, like I think in Winnie the Pooh, there's a scene with Robin, was it, is it Robin? Oh, Christopher Robin. Where he's like yeah. walking down the path. And then they overlay the Jungle Book where Mowgli does the exact same thing. That like Disney was reusing animations for different films to like go faster. It just got me thinking about all this stuff and process and like repeatability and how would you do this again and you know all that stuff. The other, if I wasn't going to choose a Wistia piece for this, I would have chosen the Imagineering story, which is a Disney Plus documentary. Mm. It's fantastic. It's all about they're called the Imagineers. They're the team behind the great rides at Disney World's, you know, going back 50 years plus. And it goes behind the scenes of all these great rides and all these things. And what you really get is that they take inspiration from anywhere and like will reuse stuff from all different places and mash different ideas. And the level of complexity of the processes that go into that is astounding. But it's great. A great watch. Our head of creative was an Imagineer and he worked at Disney on rides. He did like audio environments for rides. And so we've like talked about that. Like shout out Landon, who's amazing. That's like my dream job. I, it just sounds the most incredible thing. Yeah. What a place to work. So cool. It's like the cool stuff. Okay, so you have three big lessons from this that people could put into their marketing. We already touched on number one is the edutainment. Does it teach and entertain? What's number two? Yeah, so the, number two really is that that first one, that the reason I chose it, would you watch it in your own time? I have this thing that anyone who's worked with me will have heard me say so many times, I call it, would you stick it on the fridge? And it came to me years ago, and I really first kind of went into marketing was the idea of, I found myself for the first time in my career, now I was in marketing, taking stuff that I'd done at work and kind of showing it to my then girlfriend, now wife and saying, hey, look what I did today. You know, like your kid would do when they brought back their school homework and kind of like, can we stick it on the fridge? I did this drawing, this painting. And what I found that with marketing is that if you're doing something that you truly are proud of, you truly enjoy and would want your, my wife and my friends, my family to, to watch, then Number one, you've, you've done something that you're going to remember for the rest of the time. But number two, if you feel that strongly about it, it's very likely that other people will, will do too. I think it's just a great example of hitting that test. As I said, it, it officially did beat Netflix for me that weekend. It really was kind of binge-worthy, which is, is the ultimate goal for, for kind of content marketing. Um, would you recommend it? I have done I've done it countless times. And I think we talked about this before, but the idea of like the driveway test, which I've heard before is like you're listening to a song, you, yeah. you, you get to the end of your journey, you're sat in, the, in your driveway. Do you get out of the car and just walk away or do you go, no, I'm just going to finish it? it? It passes that test as well because you, once you started, you kind of want to finish the episode and just see what happens. So it's a great example, I think, of that one. I love it. So good. 
Okay, and then what's learning number three? Learning number three is what I call the Ricky Gervais rule. So I'm a massive Ricky Gervais fan ever since the UK office. And for those who don't know the story, when Ricky Gervais first wrote the UK office with with Stephen Merchant, they weren't big names at the time at all. They weren't really particularly well known in in the BBC. And they'd had quite a few setbacks and, and knockbacks about certain things. So by the time they got to write in the office, they were very clear they just wanted to make something that they were proud of something that they would enjoy themselves. And so really they were making that for an audience of two. You know, let's do something that we think we all really enjoy. Let's not worry about what the BBC are likely to sign off, other people like that. The original, when the pilot of The Office was put out to, to audiences, it performed terribly. You know, famously did really, really badly. And, and because it was so low budget, they were able to get it out there anyway. And it kind of just grew and grew and grew. And obviously it's become huge in the US, which is another great, great example. But I've always loved that idea of, I think, with Wistia, they're clearly doing as much for themselves as anyone else. That you know, you talk about the team doing the making of documentary. They're clearly loving it, enjoying it, learning a lot themselves. And at the end of it, you kind of feel well, they they've got as much out of that as I have watching it. And I think that in itself is a great sign of content. If you can do something that, when you look back, you think, do you know, what? I think I would in- enjoy this if someone else had made this. I think that's a really a really strong point if it fits your, you know, your target market. I love that takeaway. And it goes not just with content, but things that are like experiential marketing and stuff like that. I think that like people get so hung up in sort of the idea that like, I'm not the target audience, but it's like, but you're a human being who has passions and interests. And it's like, if you as a marketer can connect your audience's passions with their work, like you're going to do a better job. Like I promise you, it's going to be in a better place. And if content is like good and watchable and listenable and interesting and looks cool and fresh and all that stuff, people are more likely to consume it. I mean, we see this all the time with our shows, which outperform sort of like two people talking on a Zoom, like all the time, right? Like almost every single show that Caspian does has some level of production quality that is a couple notches higher than the vast majority of other shows. And people are always like, well, people like to have a, you know, more authentic feel. And I'm like, yeah, but an authentic feel doesn't sound like crap. Like it doesn't have like a meandering conversation that goes nowhere. It doesn't have someone like talking about their cat for 20 minutes and like all this stuff. Like you kind of feel like it does because you listen to shows a lot of times with like comedians and people that are just trying to like make jokes all the time. But that level of like quality is the thing that I think gets you above the bar of like all of your competitors. And from there, like then you can say like is this good what i listen to it like do i know the technical ins and outs of the product that, that they're talking about no but just does this feel like something that i would want to listen to or does it seem like it was you know an article written for 10 dollars by someone who has no idea you know what they're talking about interesting some of you are lying to my face right now you have to love it first like you have to <laughs> like yeah, otherwise no one else will i feel like sometimes it's like people think authentic as being not polished and i think that's not the case is and it's something that I was thinking about while watching these is like there's so much authenticity in the Wistia documentary but it is polished at the same time like the production value is actually pretty high and I think what makes it feel authentic is it's highlighting people's personalities and giving the show the documentary character but there's still a lot of care and attention put into how it's all put together so I think that's like being authentic doesn't mean it has to be 
rough around the edges. I think being authentic means like highlighting people's character and personality versus highlighting the equipment that you use to make it. You're so right. And the other piece there is they have a million dollar team. Yeah. So they win on creativity, right? right? So like they have tons of brilliant minds, both at Wistia and with Sandwich, that are extremely smart and really good creators. And they're able to use all of their like intellectual superiority, (laughs) you know, and experience to create something on a budget. Like the alternative is not possible, right? If you had no experience and like no sort of like creative chops and you're on a low budget, you're probably screwed. So like there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, that they spent years and years and years honing their craft to be experts, to be able to create something at this sort of like level. And that's really cool to watch. No, I think that's that's so true. And I think kind of controversial take that I've often had and doesn't always get away is that I've just not, I've never been a huge believer of um, when companies develop like tons of personas in terms of the audience, because I think that, you can then obsess over the persona and think, oh no, what would this particular person in IT really enjoy? And as you said, like we're all human. You know, ultimately you're you are competing with Netflix, with TikTok, with the news, with YouTube and, and all those other things. Actually, what would a human enjoy is probably the first thing to start with. And and then of course you need to know who your audience is. But I think often people will start at one level too deep, I think, and great content is actually pretty universal. You know, may, most people would enjoy one ten hundred, for example, that Wistia's done, whether you're interested in video or not, I think it's just a good series. Yeah, it's like the two types that you need to be creating are things that are like, not the like core four quadrant film because your kids don't need to watch it, but like, would your spouse watch it? Like, would just someone like find this interesting? Like, that's one bucket. And the other bucket is like something so technical and so deep that only the person who's in that career field would even understand half of the language that you're saying in there so that it's like so rich that it's for them, right? And it's like those two things, like you need to have stories on one end and you need to have like technical depth on the other, you know, and if you can blend those two together in any way, then you're really cooking. You know, my six-year-old's watched it and she loved the toilet humor in the first episode, so it's what, it works at all levels. Someone's in here. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. After listening to, to this for 30 minutes, if you're not going to throw it on, I don't know what you're doing. Switching gears to slowness, you know, y'all are a Magic Quadrant leader, hundreds of really cool customers that people have heard of, big names. How do you think about content marketing? With content, you know, slowness, I think we're still very much in what we call category mode. And, and category mode for us really means growing awareness of process mining. And so we're thinking of that in three ways at the moment, which I think is interesting. One is that actually the first tier of that is why processes even matter. And we're working on a series at the moment, which I can talk a little bit about, which is is really bringing that to life. Because what we've realized is when we talk to many people about process mining, they're like, okay, but you know, what, what are processes in my business? Where, where, where does that go? And we realize that there's a real opportunity to, to do that in an entertaining way. So for example, what happens to hotel soap when you leave? You know, people use those little bars of soap and then they leave and you're like, I wonder what happens to that. It's like, it turns out there's a ton of processes behind what happens next. That means that that isn't thrown in the bin when you leave. It actually turns into a really fantastic, sustainable product that goes to people who are less privileged and and kind of need soap. So things like that. And like, for example, why do delivery trucks never turn left? Um, And it's all about processes. So we think there's a real opportunity, number one, just to educate people about processes. 
tier two for us then becomes one layer deeper, which is like why process mining matters and therefore like the link to business and, and to kind of the, the value part really of what we offer at, at Salonis. But even with that, I think one of the things that we're conscious of trying to do more of is make that relatable. So, you know, to, to wider audiences that aren't just in the, you know, the field that we're selling to and try and find more analogies that bring that to life. So one that we've, we've touched on recently is, you know, you wouldn't pay a restaurant bill twice. So this idea of going into a restaurant, then giving you the bill and then going, yeah, like $40, there you go. And then go, actually, I'll pay it again. Here's another $40. You'd never do that. But you'd be astounded by the amount, number of times that happens in a business where invoices are paid more than once. It's incredible. Like one in 50 are paid more than once, like, which is crazy. Yeah. And that's all again down to processes. And again, that's how process mining can help. Process mining can help stop those kind of things from happening. But how do you bring that to life through content marketing? I think it's through stories and analogies that really bring that to life. And then the third tier for us is, you know, once you know why processes matter, once you know why process mining matters, why would you choose to work with Salonis? And for us, that's about brand. It's about our products, obviously, but it's really about our people as well. We want to kind of, with content marketing, show a bit more of the heart behind what we do. We have values, for example, one of our key values is Earth is our future. It's a real company value around sustainability, as many companies do, but our product can really help companies to hit their sustainability goals as well. Again, processes are a huge part of, of sustainability challenges across the world and i think that a lot of what we think about with content marketing there is how do we get that part across how do we make us not just a, a brand salonis but show that actually there's a real company from people behind that that that, that if you are choosing a provider you, you actually are going to choose those guys i'm going to bet on them so when we think about content at the moment we're, we're thinking in those kind of three tiers and, and kind of you can see they kind of classically go a little bit deeper as you go through can i say i absolutely love that y'all use the term, you say process mining, the x-ray of your business. I think that's so clever because it's just so instantly understandable and immediately like me as the CEO of a company, I'm like, yeah, I want to get my business (laughs) x-rayed. Like, tell me what all of our bones look like when they're moving, you know, like, because that's exactly what you want, right? You want transparency. You want to see what's happening, you know, underneath the uh, layers of fascia, you know? Yeah, I think it's great. I found that, as a marketer, I've always found that tech guys, you know, more technical people, product guys have been some of the best people I've ever worked with with their analogies around the products. I remember a mm-hmm. CTO I used to work with who anything you asked him, he'd give you an analogy that would explain it kind of in layman terms. And x-ray is a great example of that because there's so many different ways you could explain it. But by just going with, you know, everyone knows what an x-ray is. You immediately picture a broken bone. So when you say x-ray broken bone, Salonis process broken, you can very quickly piece the two together. So, yeah. I think it's it's a big part of the job of a marketer, I think, to particularly with newer new technologies to try and find ways to bring that to life. So how do you do content marketing? How do you think about it? That's the question, isn't it? With content marketing, I think about it in a, a very, very simple way of make something that you'd enjoy and make something that is for, is for a human. I think if you make something that you'll be excited about and have energy about and you're going to take home, you're going to stick it on the fridge, then ultimately you're very likely to, to grow an audience around that internally first, then externally as well. So almost the first point of how we think about what we're working on is, is this something that in you know five, 10 years time, we're going to look back on and think, yeah, actually, that was really cool. Because, you know, looking on 10 years later and talking to, you know, old teammates that I used to work with, we'll, when we get together over a beer or something, we'll be like, I remember that cool thing, you know, and maybe like dust down like a, it could be anything, you know, like an ebook we've done, which we're really proud of and we thought was amazing. You kind of go, oh, I've still got a copy here or, you know, like, an old video i remember there's a video i made like 10 years ago now which was like a lego animation just as the lego movie came out and the amount of times that will go around on a whatsapp channel still now like oh look this popped up on my youtube like still good and i think 
that's such a big part of content marketing, I think, is, is when you're doing stuff thinking, you know, will we remember this? Because if you think that you will, it's very likely that your audience is going to enjoy it. I love that. That's so true. It is so unbelievably true. Like, will you remember this? You know, I, it's the old adage that when your team is like sick of saying something, then finally it's probably starting to reach your customers for the first time. And it's so true, right? It's like you work on this. I mean, you've probably said the word process mining 500,000 times to you and your team. And it's like, there's that person, you know, sitting out there that is just like, huh, wonder what that is. You know what I mean? It's like, that's so true. And like, you have to like get those really cool, creative, interesting endeavors that you're going to remember 10 years from now to those are the things that all rise above the noise. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And in terms of some of the stuff that we've done in, in the last year or so that, that actually probably do fall into that category, that there's been a few really interesting things. So we did a, a campaign last year called Look Up, which was kind of helped to help boost an event, but really talk about our sustainability piece. And it's a really cool video. If you Google Stallone's Look Up, it'll come up. It's very atypical B2B marketing piece. It's a real passion piece. It's like one of our guys, Henry, who's going to probably become famous at some point. He's big on TikTok. He's about to be a bit of a stand-up star. He's really talking from the heart in this incredibly shot, like four-minute video about sustainability and look up. Obviously, a little bit playing on the movie that had just come out at the time. And with that, we created this video, which did really well on, on social, but, but then we put it up on posters and actually put it up on huge billboards in Berlin um, when we were running an event in Germany at the time. So you just had this amazing behind-the-scenes video of people just walking past these crazy billboards of this guy that she's shouting about sustainability and how it's to do something new and different now. So it was very different, but again, it's something we'll definitely look back on in, in years to come. And a couple of other things that we've done, I think, just have, have turned out to be just smart, good, solid concept marketing pieces that, again, for everyone involved with them, will, they'll look back on, okay, actually, that was that was great. You know, one was... We've done the the Dummies Guide to Process Mining. So the Dummies Guide, a very familiar brand to most people. And, you know, classic thing, if you write the book, own the category. And, you know, Dummies Guide is a, a great brand to sometimes associate yourselves to. So we've done that. And I think that, that's been a really successful sort of piece of content for us. And then another thing we did last year was a documentary series, Reinventing Process Mining, which was a behind the scenes story of our, our story, our people, very episodic and kind of what we're working on behind the scenes and, and what's the future of the industry and the future of slowness. And again, all, all done for very different reasons, but probably all examples, I think, of the kind of content marketing that for those involved closely with it will definitely in 10 years' time go, hey, that was cool. You know, I've still got a copy of that or like actually I still watch those videos sometimes. So I think that's always, always the, the, the ultimate test. And cut. Chris, it's been absolutely awesome having you on the show. So great to talk about this really cool documentary. So cool to learn about Salonis and all the cool stuff you're doing. For our listeners, you can go to salonis.com. Definitely check out the lookup video. We'll link it up in the show notes. They click the link. That's also awesome. Any final thoughts here? Anything to plug? No, just thank you very much for the time. I absolutely love this podcast. I've been listening for a while now. And um, yeah, keep up the great work. You guys are smashing it. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. So how was that? Feel pretty good about it? I've seen worse. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, 
Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise. <laughs>